Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Midweek late lunch, you're very welcome to the show. Lots of guests to meet this afternoon. As usual, if you want to get in touch with us, 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp. You can call in an 1850 or touch base always across social media. And if you want to have a guest for us or have a story, don't forget the email address, late lunch at lmfm.ie. Let's begin with my first guest today. She grew up just outside Navin. She's the daughter of a doctor. And we met her sister, Kate, an ophthalmic surgeon, some time ago on late lunch. Today, Rosemary Coleman, a consultant dermatologist at the Blackrock Clinic, is on the line. Afternoon, Rosemary. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for taking my call. I'm just thinking, your dad was a doctor, two sisters. Was there anyone else, any any other of the siblings involved in the medical profession? Uh, not the siblings, but I think there are about 30 doctors in the family, in the extended families. So My, oh my. <laughs> it certainly does. And, and was it your dad, and growing up in that environment, and with all those connections, really that led you down this road? Well, funnily enough, it was actually my aunt, Anya, who is my mother's sister, who is a doctor, who was really interested in dermatology. And when she used to call out to our house, and myself and Kate were there studying, she used to say, one of you girls should consider dermatology. It's a great career. It's so interesting. So it was my aunt who stimulated my interest in skin disease. Well, the rest is history because I'm just looking at your resume and when I mention Addenbrooke's in Cambridge, Great Ormond Street Hospital for Sick Children, many people familiar with it, thousands of Irish people. Uh, you talk about the University Presbyterian Hospital in Pittsburgh in the USA, guys in London and then back here to Temple Street. My word, you have lots of uh, experience behind you. Yes, I was very fortunate. I had, I had a very interesting training. Now, going to all those places, obviously you're learning different aspects of what you do. And now you are involved in restorative dermatology. Will you explain to listeners what that is? Yes, well, when I came back and I was working in Temple Street, I was predominantly paediatric dermatology and I loved that. But that was about 24 years ago. And in those days, there were no part-time jobs and there were no job shares. So I started to have my own family and decided I wanted to see them growing up. And to go part-time, I went into private practice, 
whereas luckily nowadays things have improved a lot for women. So when I went into private practice, it just evolved that I started to do more and more laser therapy, filler therapy, and I also did some cosmetic dermatology. But in the last 10 years, what I have found is that more and more I'm applying these treatments to actual skin disease and not just cosmetic patients. So I coined the term restorative dermatology, and indeed our clinic is the Institute of Restorative Dermatology, where I work with six wonderful nurses. And what we do is we treat all the damage that has been done by the skin disease. So I liken it to the dentists who coined the term restorative dentistry. So we all know nowadays that it's not just a matter of going to the dentist and having your tooth filled. We don't consider that a perfectly healthy mouth. Mm. We realize the value of a healthy, fresh, beautiful smile. And they call, they call that restorative dentistry when you go for orthodontics or, you know, teeth enhancements, yes. etc. So restorative dermatology is whereby the patients come to us, we treat their skin disease, we get rid of their acne, their rosacea, their skin cancers, etc. But these disorders often leave damage. And what we can now do is greatly reduce the damage left behind, such as the acne scarring, the red faces, the broken blood vessels, the scars from surgery, from skin cancer, from trauma, and indeed other skin disorders or people with very severe sweating, etc. The, the treatments which evolved from the cosmetic world, we're now using them all in dermatology either to treat the disorder or to treat the sequelae and restore the person's skin confidence and restore their skin to as good as we can and as close to how it was before their awful skin disorder. Isn't it terrific uh, the way that has worked and the way you are putting it into practice today? You mentioned a word there, confidence. Is that really the kernel with people who have gone through issues like acne, cancer treatments, etc., that you mentioned, that lack of confidence post the treatment? Well, you know, again, everybody is different and some people are more visual than others. Mm. So for some people, a tiny mark on their face can be devastating, whereas a massive scar won't bother others. But the vast majority of people would agree that they would far prefer not to have scarring on their face. There also tends to be this um, uh, tendency, Jerry, to think, oh, the boys don't mind. We'll treat the girl's acne or we'll treat the girl's scarring, but the boys are grand. My clinic is absolutely full of young teenagers who were very unlucky and got very severe scarring from their acne. And they love the improvement just as much as the girls. And in fact, in many ways, at least us females can use makeup to camouflage. Whereas unless you're David Beckham, it really hasn't become very acceptable to do so for the lads yet. You know, we'd have an awful lot of, uh, say, older men in particular. It's fascinating, the number of older men, like in their 70s and 80s, who come into us with red faces, red noses, broken blood vessels, the typical Celtic complexion whereby they say, everybody thinks I have a bottle of whiskey in my back pocket, and I don't. I've just inherited this disorder, rosacea, from my parents. And while the drugs that we use, and luckily we're in a position to both treat the medical condition and the sequelae, the leftovers, the drugs we use will get rid of the inflammation, the lumps, the bumps, the swelling, the pain, but it won't get rid of the broken blood vessels. So we can get rid of them very easily with laser treatments now. 
Isn't it a fact that I can recall in my own growing up over the years to see people who lived with this? And especially men, you're so right there and they didn't do anything about it in the past. But you're telling us today that really is changing. Really changing. And, you know, I'd say it's 50-50 male and female coming to our clinic for laser therapy. And more and more men, I think it's become far more acceptable for men to look after themselves. And indeed, it's expected. And a lot of professional men, when they're hitting, you know, middle age and the young guns are coming up behind them and they're confident and they're, you know, they're young and their skin is great. The men are coming in saying, look, you know, I just want to look my best. We very much uh, specialize in not changing anything. We're just restoring what has been lost. We're not trying to give big Love Island lips and cheeks. We, we don't go for that artificial look at all. The work we do, we pride ourselves that we don't believe people can see the work, but that they can see just somebody looking very well, but that they can never put their finger on it and say why. And that's really the, the effect we, we like in our clinic. I know different clinics have different aesthetic eyes, but that's ours. The numbers you mention are, are great, and it's 50-50, male, female. I'm just wondering, uh, from your time and, and what you've seen and how this has evolved with numbers and the treatments, allergies, are you finding more and more people, is acne, what I'm trying to say, is acne or rosacea more prevalent today than when you began? Um, I don't think it's necessarily for acne and rosacea. Personally, well, rosacea... No, it's not more prevalent. It's certainly more prevalent in my practice in Ireland than when I was in England and America because it's called the curse of the Celts. And when I was in America, if somebody came into the department with rosacea, they called in all the juniors to see it. Whereas in Ireland, I'll see a dozen cases a day. So it's just very prevalent here. Acne is on the increase worldwide and particularly adult acne. And it's the number one skin disease worldwide. So people tend to think of acne as a teenage disorder when in fact the vast majority of people I see with acne will be middle-aged people, particularly women. And it's partially thought to be increased due to the change in our diet. Uh, We have higher calorie diets, a lot of dairy produce, but also the increase in stress, that people are living under greater stress. And, of course, that increases your steroid hormones, etc., and that can contribute. So, yes, acne is on the rise, but I think what I really noticed, Jerry, is that people's expectations are far higher now. So we're living in a culture of the selfie. People spend all day, or the youngsters, taking photographs of themselves. So they've become far more aware of their appearance and they analyze their appearance. And they will literally come into me with a filtered photograph on the phone saying, I want to look like that. And I want my skin to look like that, which is just with a filter. So people are far more aware and therefore skin disease appears more prevalent. It's not probably as increased in numbers as it might appear. It's just more attention is given to it. Just like years ago, people had crooked teeth years ago, but nobody was getting braces. Mm. Now, it's quite unusual when you see a youngster with crooked teeth because you just assume that they will get braces, don't we? You do indeed. And you know those youngsters, just back to that for a second, that come in and present you with this on their phone. Can you work it? Can you do it for them? If they, you know, Are you a, a, a magic maker? Well, I am indeed, but I usually say the wand is out today. You see, they usually want it, but they don't want to do anything to get it. They mightn't want laser, they mightn't want creams. Some youngsters can be quite unrealistic, but really, if we sit down and chat to them, 
Now, by the way, I do not believe in treating 18, 19, 20-year-olds or changing their appearance. I will certainly treat them for all medical conditions, Mm. acne scarring and anything medical. But there's a dreadful tendency out there for youngsters to want big lips and to change their appearance and to have Botox at 20. I, I personally think that's outrageous and very unethical because their faces haven't even developed till they're 25, 26. So the idea that you would actually start to alter a face that hasn't even been developed, like, where are you going to stop? Yes. You know, there's no doubt about it. We're aging since the day we're born. Sometimes the, the teenagers who see me for acne, they'll say at the end, now, look, I'm in here now, so what can I do anti-aging? And I say, I have just the cream for you. And their eyes light up and I say, sunblock. So sunblock is the ultimate anti-aging cream. And if I can get an 18-year-old to use sunblock properly, they truly will retain amazing skin. Now, now, while you're on that, this is, brings me to another point, because I've, we've been receiving the bulletins from the Construction Industry Federation, from the Irish Farmers Association about skin cancer, you know, outdoor workers and those sectors uh, in the numbers of skin cancer diagnoses each year are, are high. And that's why they're onto this at this time. Are, are you seeing a lot of this? Yes, the skin cancer rate in Ireland is soaring. It really is. But it's interesting you say outdoor workers. There's a funny sort of paradox there that outdoor workers who get sun all the time, their skin actually gets thickened and hardened. The office workers who are in all day and then go out for that blast at lunchtime, right at the the worst time of the day when the UVA index is at its highest, they're the people who are actually getting more skin cancers. And the other thing that I find none of my patients seem to know is that the UVA travels through glass travels through cloud, travels through the window of the car, etc. So people who are indoors, I, I, I see an interesting phenomenon, and indeed I only saw it again last week, whereby somebody will have very severe sun damage down one side only. I had a lady in yesterday, and I said to her, were you a teacher? And she said, I was. So the primary school teachers who sit at those windows, do you know the way the primary school yes. teachers wouldn't move for, say, 18 years? They, mm. their, their table will be in the same place. <laughs> Whereas the secondary school teacher will move around. Yeah. So they'll sit there with those big windows, the, the way the, the schools were designed in the 70s, with the big windows all down one side. And I have had a number of them who have had skin cancers just down that side because of the UVA coming through the window 365 days a year. Isn't that interesting? My yeah. word, you are certainly making me sit up in my chair here and listen to you. You know, those atypical office workers and how many people do sit inside windows or do drive in vehicles? You know, I'm sure it's the same with the glass in a car as well or a lorry if you're working there. Well, that's it. And even airline pilots. So, for example, the windscreen at the front of the car, it does depend on the brand of the car and the model. So there's no exact figure. But the windscreen at the front of the car, on average, will protect you about eight, between 80 and 90 percent UVA. But this, the windows to the sides are only, on average, 40 percent. So you're getting an awful lot of light through the window. I always say to people to keep a sunblock in their car so they never get caught. A lot of people will, who drive a lot, their hands will get very aged. There's a, a product that you can buy on Amazon for just oh, 13 or 14 euro called Sunblocks Gloves, S-U-N-B-L-O-X, gloves. And they're fingerless gloves and they're flesh-coloured, so you don't have to look like Madonna or Prince or something driving the car. Um, with your gloves, but it will protect your hands if you're somebody who does a lot of driving, say you're a rep or, or you're a driver or a lorry driver, 
you know, you can protect your hands while you're just driving along comfortably. So I also get people who say to me all the time when I say, have you your sunblock on? They say, no, I, I'm not going out today. And I say, well, I'm not sitting in your bedroom. I say, you drove here, you were in the car, you're sitting in the, in the uh, window in your kitchen. If you have a lot of glass in your window in the kitchen, you're getting UVA all day, etc. So the window is very important. The sunblock, just to, uh, and I, I know you mentioned, you said to, to youngsters, go and get your sunblock, put it on, it's the best thing you can do for your skin. What are you talking about, Rosemary, in an Irish context? Now, these last few days, it's been unbelievable. The heat yesterday evening, I'll never forget it, uh, and the sunlight. What's the minimum you should be uh, applying? Okay, well, firstly, you've mentioned a very good word there. You said in an Irish context, there's a very high tendency for people to think that our sun is weaker just because we get less of it. Mm. In fact, in Ireland, we've got the 14th highest rate of skin cancer in the world, which if you consider we get so little sun, or certainly reliable sun, that's amazing when New Zealand is the top and then Australia. So the Irish sun has a very high UV index. And I actually had a patient in from Mauritius the other day who said, you know, I sunburn in Ireland far more easily than Mauritius. The sun is much gentler there. So let's not... um, Uh, underestimate the strength of the Irish sun. Uh, It's important for us to remember that um, it's our fair skin type in Ireland that makes us far more susceptible than other nations who have darker skins and more melanin. And also, in Ireland now, we're travelling an awful lot. We have an ageing population. People still insist on using sunbeds. And we have quite unhealthy sun practices. So the minute people see the sunlight, they think, oh, well, I have to get out for a while. So what I would recommend, my philosophy is that you should use sun protection uh, 365 days a year. And I think the easiest way to do that is to have a factor 50 in a moisturiser because everybody will put a moisturiser on in the morning, certainly all women will, and we try to train the men. And if you put a moisturiser on every morning, um, that's just, as I say, you don't look out the window before you wash your teeth to decide, will I wash my teeth today? Is it sunny? What sort of weather is it? It should be as automatic to mind your skin. And um, I would recommend a factor 50, because studies have shown that the average person puts on so little sunblock that uh, when you apply a factor 50, you're actually only getting a factor 19.27 because the amount is so little. So to get a factor 50, you'd have to be putting on a full teaspoon on your face, and most people won't do that. So the highest factor, at the end of the day, you might get a factor 20. And then if it's that it's a beautiful uh, day and you're going to be out at lunch or you're going to be active and go out walking, you need to reapply. So the sunblock really only lasts about two hours uh, in, in, in reality. Right. And that's fine when you go to Spain or Portugal and you have nothing else to do but sit by a pool and keep reapplying your sunblock. But what people forget in Ireland, if they put it on at 8 o'clock in the morning and they come in from work, the other night it was really hot at 8 o'clock in the evening. Uh, you have to reapply before you go out and do your activities. Just before we finish, we've a, a couple of minutes left to, to chat. You mentioned something there about that you won't, you know, when you get teenagers coming into you looking for this, that and the other. Is it a factor in Ireland that there are rogue operators? You know, look at your credentials and where you operate out of as well. Are there people who do this for youngsters? Oh, absolutely. It's shocking. And there are clinics who will actually entice the youngsters who they believe are what the the new modern term influencers. 
and they will give them breast augmentation and big lips and Botox and frozen faces. I have seen it with my own eyes and they will give the 20 to 22 year olds these treatments just so that they will then blog and Instagram and advertise the clinics. It's going on all around and these are often clinics there's certainly clinics without a dermatologist, that I can absolutely guarantee you, but they are clinics where there's a very strong commercial interest rather than the patient's primary uh, outcome. Interesting and, and, and a warning there for people as well. Rosemary, I have to leave it there today, but I issue an invitation to you down the road sometime in the future. Come in to me and we'll talk longer because you're such an interesting woman you really are and uh, it'd be great if you could do that I know you're busy and busy at the moment but please God we'll arrange that sometime down the road if that's okay with you thank you very much Jerry. it was a pleasure not at you. all and do say hello would you please to your lovely sister Kate and uh, we send our regards I will indeed take care thank you thank you Rosemary take care bye of yourself bye bye that's Dr Rosemary Coleman there she is a wonderful wonderful lady operating out of the Black Rock Clinic didn't she speak some real sense there. There's an awful lot in that chat there that we could all take on board. Very, very important advice indeed. I'm really delighted to be telling you all this. You see, my next guest today has the unique distinction of becoming the author I've interviewed most over the years on Late Lunch. And you know how we love our books and our authors on the show. Back we go to 2011 when she published her first novel Any Dream Will Do Maria Duffy from then has paid us many visits and this afternoon she returns with her eighth book The Getaway and it's already well on its way to being another bestseller Maria it's great to see you Great to see you as well, Jerry. Thanks very much. And that's a brilliant statistic. I'm thrilled, <laughs> delighted to be here. Trisha Scanlon will kill me if she hears this. Don't say anything about it. Anyway, we won't tell anything. No, we, we won't say anything about it. You are, and I'm delighted to say you are as well. And you know what? It's no surprise because, you know, we and they just love your books. Oh, thanks very much. And, and congratulations on the you. new one called The Getaway. I'm going to quote you. I read uh, an article about you recently, and oh, this God. is a little quote from it that we <laughs> We'll start with, you see, as a writer, I live in a fantasy world dreaming up stories. You said that. I did, I did. But look at the premise of this book, The Getaway, is so real and, and so real, I'm sure, for so many people. Yeah, well, that's that's what I like to hear, because when I was thinking of what to write for my next book, I I, as you know, I'm very character driven. I love the characters in my book. And before I ever have, before I ever really have, I might have a seed of an idea, but before I actually write the book, I profile all my characters. And what I like to do is to make them as real as possible. I like to write about real people with real problems and just everyday problems that people who read the book can say, I know, I know somebody who has that problem or else I've had that problem. So I always like to write very real people, you know, and I suppose I grew up in Dublin, the heart of Dublin, in a great community with lots of people and neighbours and friends and, you know, lots of things happened, lots of things went on through the years and, like, Dubliners, as you know, are great storytellers and um, I just listened as a child to stories around me and and um, my, my parents are from Dublin, my grandparents are from Dublin and, and I suppose it was a really good storytelling upbringing 
and um, and the characters I met through my life are just fantastic. So, so yeah, I, I like to make people feel when they read my books that they can relate to them. And this is one particular thing that I hear people saying, people my generation saying again and again and again, especially over the last maybe 10 years or so, where um, in my generation, a lot of us have, you know, elderly parents maybe who maybe who are ill or need a little bit more attention. You know, they have young children or maybe teenage children, you you know, it doesn't get easier as they get older, as you know yourself. Um, sometimes the teenage years and even later are more difficult. <laughs> you said it, Maria. Because there's, there's more stuff out there yeah. that you have to worry about and they're not tucked up in bed at eight o'clock at night. So a lot of us then are trying to hold down a job, you know, run a house and we're just pulled in a million different directions. And though a lot of people have said to me, is, is the getaway about your life? That's only because everyone kind of, everyone kind of, feels like that at certain times in their life, you know, and um, they think that people have said to me as well, God, I feel you're writing about me, you know, because it's just something we all feel pulled in a million different directions. Mm. And sometimes it feels like you just want to get out of it. You just want to step out of your life for a little while. And um, and I've always loved the movie Shirley Valentine. (laughs) I've always loved the premise of it and the idea of it. And I kind of that kind of sprung to mind. And actually, the getaway, um, I suppose the idea came from, uh, you know, a similar kind of thing happening to me where I did feel one particular day pulled in a million different directions. Um, I was coming home from an appointment, ended up on the N4 in the middle of traffic. I'd hardly any diesel left in the car. Um, I had gotten delayed, so it was evening at this stage. I had missed an orthodontist appointment with my son, which he had rung to tell me that I'd missed. Um, they were ringing me from home to say there was no milk, there was no bread. Was I getting shopping on the way home? What was for dinner? And a friend of mine, Neve Green, who you, you probably have spoke to in the past, she's a fantastic author. Yes. She rang me at that particular time, and so she got to listen to all my woes. And I said, and on top of everything else, I just have no idea what I'm going to write for my next book. And she said to me, there you go. Your next book isn't what you've just You have said. it. You have it there. And she said, because I felt like that a million times before. And she said, everybody I know feels like that at times, just pulled in different directions and trying to make bits of yourself. So, yeah, so that's where the idea came from. Oh, this resonates. I'm telling you, not alone, all over the world this resonates. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure with, with women of an age who have all those responsibilities. And in a way, I have to say, Maria, are the fulcrum of the family, you know, yeah, with yeah. the older folks and, and with the younger ones as well. But here's the thing. Linda, the main character in this book, yes, she's feeling all you said there. And, and I'm feeling I've been taken for granted. So she decides to up and away to Spain for a couple of weeks to work this out yeah, for herself. Yeah. Did you do that? You didn't get no, the... No, you hadn't the no. luxury of going to Spain. No, no, <laughs> no I, see, I thought not, that, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not that, no. Yeah. Um, no, I just I just thought it would be, you know, in true Shirley Valentine style, yes. it would be nice to just... You know, she's feeling overwhelmed and she has, she just thinks to herself, if she doesn't step out of that situation, mm. she'll have a nervous breakdown because she's already had a, what she calls a mini nervous breakdown, you know, just from everything that's going on. And she just feels she needs to remove herself, remove herself from everything just for a week or two to try and just recharge the batteries and um trying to maybe suss out her life and see how she can make her life better. And, you know, the thing is, she gets on great and she looks back to Ireland from a distance in Spain and thinks, hmm, do you know something? I think I might stay here a bit longer. But because there is, of course, the male muse out there, a guy called Kabir. That's right, yeah. 
comes into our life. Yeah, he does. And, you know, that's another distraction for her as well. And the other thing to say is, back home, yes, reality has dawned for yeah. the crew back in the house, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's ta- she feels taken for granted. And yeah. really, I suppose she has been taken for granted. Like, she works from home, so she's always there to make the dinner. She's always there to collect the shirts from the dry cleaners. You know, she's always there to clean up and basically do the the runs for the kids and everything else. So she probably is taken a bit for granted, but probably not so much as she thinks she is, you know, because she's feeling so overwhelmed. And it really is just a bit of a wake up call for them at home to realise how much she does, Mm. you know. So when she goes away, like she's a little bit she's a little bit sly because when she goes away and the the husband, who's a good man, like he's a decent guy, there's nothing bad about him at all except for the fact that he's quite a traditionalist and he works nine to five so he kind of feels the dinner should be on the table for him when he comes home but he's not a bad guy and he has told her he's given him given her I don't want to give too much of the no, book no, away no no don't but no. he's given his blessing for her to go away yes it's not as if she runs no not away. at all and that's the and, point and yeah he's, he's, he's a decent guy but he thinks how hard can it be? I'll take a couple of weeks off work and it's time for me to catch up on my golf and meet the lads and have a good time. So she kind of makes sure that she sticks in a few appointments and is in, makes a few appointments for the children when she knows he's due to be playing golf or whatever, just so he can see what it's life like to try and keep everything running at home. Yeah. So. so then we leave the book there because you have to get it and see how it unfolds and how what she does and the dilemma she faces and as well they want her back you'll just have to get this book it's called The Getaway by Maria Duffy but I really think it is so on the nail Maria that people are going to absolutely love this book and I promise you you certainly will number eight number eight I can't believe it yeah it's quite a haul, isn't it, for you? As you said, since since 2011, yeah. when I got that first book deal and had my v- first book published, I know I was down here and I, I just had joy on my face the whole time. I just couldn't believe I had a book published. And when I turned 40, you know, it always has been a bit of a dream of mine. I've always been a big reader and I always felt I could write a book but kind of didn't have the confidence. And I mean, I've said this before, I'm sure, a number of times, but um, just didn't think that I, I could actually... Well, I kind of felt I could do it, but I felt that nobody would take me seriously because I didn't I didn't know anyone in the writing world, in the publishing world, and I didn't have a degree. And, and I just felt that I didn't... Nobody would take me seriously. So when I got that first book published, it was an absolute dream come true because when I turned 40... I said to myself, by the time I'm 50, I want to have a book on the bookshelves. It was like a bit of a bit of a bucket list thing for me. I said, you know, a few things I thought I might do before I'm 50. And one of the things, the main thing really for me was I'm going to push myself, get a bit of confidence and I'm going to get a book on the bookshelves by the time I'm 50. And only a few months ago, I turned 50 and I've got book number eight ah. published, which is, is I, you know, it's really mind-blowing. I, I can I really can't believe it. And it, it just gets better and better each time. And people think I must be used to it when I see the books on the shelves. But I walked into the shop, into Eason's um, this time around, the first day I saw the book out on the shelves. And I always have a tear in my eye. I, can, I just can't believe it. I, I always step back and kind of lurk a bit in the shop and just look, just look at the books on the shelves. It's, it's, 
it's really hard for me to believe. It's a wonderfully ex- inspiring story for so many people. You have followed your dream and your dreams have come true. Never mind Eason's in Dublin. Tell us about when you walked into Barnes & Noble. I've been in it a few times myself yeah. in New York City. Oh, that was incredible. Yeah, I, I have a, a lovely agent, um, uh, Tracy Brennan, in the US. And um, last year, she secured um, a deal over in the US for two of my books, um, A Love Like This and Falling Softly. So they were both published over in the US last year. So um, I went on the the time the first one was published. I went over there um, with two friends, Neve Green being one of them and Michelle Jackson. They came to carry my suitcase and uh, support me, which was fantastic. And we had an absolutely fabulous time. But um, I had some radio interviews and some media over there and um, they they supported me through it all. So it's great to have have friends like that. And um, we uh, went down to Barnes and Noble and... Um, it was just incredible just to see my book up in the shelves oh, there. It's fantastic. It's not incredible. It's well deserved and it's oh, no, not by accident, may I say, either. Let's take a short break and late lunch. She's staying with us. I have a copy of this brilliant book called The Getaway by Maria Duffy to give away. I mentioned this is what number book? How many novels has she had published? We said it a moment ago. What number book of Maria Duffy's is The Getaway? Is it, I'll give them a clue, is it her, they were listening though, I know, was it her sixth, seventh or eighth book? This book, is it her sixth, seventh or eighth book published? Another big hit, The Getaway. Answers please with your name and details, 086-1800-658 and we'll have a signed copy winging its way in the post you this evening. Stay with us, more from Maria in a moment. Maria Duffy's new book is The Getaway and she's with me on late lunch this afternoon. My most interviewed author of all time. I just love the ring of that, I just keep saying it. Yeah, and... it sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> now here, I want to take a little liberty here. I have a title for you for a new book and it's not a novel okay go on it's a real life story okay and I have it down here in my page alright it's called this is the title of your next book okay go on The Accidental Golfer (laughs) I love it do you like it it? I love it you've gone mad I've gone golf mad I have I have despite what I thought what I thought I never ever imagined or dreamed that I'd like golf and I, I did I did fall into it by accident I did but um, I absolutely love it now I don't know what I did before golf because golf is a huge part of my life now When did you take it up? How long are you at it at this stage? Um, well three years ago um, my local golf club Hermitage Golf Club Lovely um, club It's a fantastic mm. club um, and I'm just down the road and some of the the, the men on my road played golf there and they told us as like as I might have, I, I'm sure I've spoken to you before about my neighbours we've got a great street and we're all really good friends mm. and the, the men who played the golf in, in Hermitage Golf Club uh, told us one night that they were doing a what it was called a get into golf scheme where they were trying to encourage more women into the golf club and uh, you go for six six weeks every Tuesday night for six weeks to do a lesson for an hour and then there'd be tea and coffee and biscuits afterwards in the chat so we all said we'd go. I think there was about 10 of us, 10 of the women on the road said we'd go or 12. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Actually, and... um I had no interest in golf whatsoever. Um, I only went for the tea and biscuits and chat. I thought, well, you know, we've such busy lives these days and I don't get to see, like, we're all very good friends on the road, but we, we were all doing our own thing and we don't get to see each other that often. I thought, wouldn't it be lovely every Tuesday evening at seven o'clock in the summer to go down? I'd just put up with the lesson to go and, and have the, the chats afterwards. And um, the first night I went down and it was absolutely pouring rain and we did a lesson with the the pro Simon Byrne down there um, under umbrellas and it was mostly him talking to us and telling us you know that I suppose more more um, the theory of it than anything so I stood there kind of bored and thought I can't wait for the tea and biscuits so we went in afterwards and it was lovely we went back the following week and we got golf clubs in our hands and we actually got to hit the ball and from the first time I hit that ball I thought this is good, I like this. And I thought, no, I can't like golf, it's just not me. And by the third or fourth lesson we had, I was absolutely hooked. I absolutely loved it and couldn't wait to get back the next week for the lesson. So after the six weeks, um, I, along with, I think, six others on the road, joined. So we all became new members of the golf club. And it's absolutely fantastic. I love it, absolutely love it. Isn't it? An escape for you, you know, from you mentioned how busy life can be and with your work as well. And when you go out there, genuinely, is your mind clear? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, the golf club is my getaway. It really is. I absolutely love getting out there. When you take that golf club in your hand and you get out onto a beautiful course, which Hermitage is, I mean, it's really, I mean, if you haven't been there before and you play golf, go and check it out. It's absolutely a beautiful course. And when you get out there with the golf club in your hand, nothing else matters. No matter what's going on, you know, whether there's good things, bad things, whatever's going on in your life, when you hold that golf club in your hand, all that matters is getting the ball in the hole. And, you know, if you go out for an hour or two hours, yesterday I played a competition and we were out for four and a half hours playing 18 holes in that beautiful sunshine. And for those that time, all that mattered was just getting the ball in the hole each time. You know, so no matter what's going on, you just get to forget about stuff. And even if, I mean, 
it's not that I need to forget about stuff, but when you have busy life and there's a lot of stuff and your brain is busy and even when you're trying to think up storylines for the next book, sometimes you want to try and clear your mind of that. And the only way I can really clear my mind is play golf. It's fantastic. What happened in the supermarket? I saw you tweeting. There was a man in front of you, a very healthy man doing his <laughs> shopping. Were you not ashamed of yourself? <laughs> I can get away with nothing. I shouldn't put things like that on Twitter. I caught my attention. (laughs) And I said, I'll say it on the air today just to let a few more people know about it. There was a man man in front of you and he he was a real health, obviously, conscious person, wasn't he? Well, I try and stay a little bit healthy myself. (laughs) And sometimes if I'm trying to be healthy, the kids give out and say, oh, mum, there's no nice things in the house, you know, because I'm buying lettuce Mm. and... Uh, salad stuff and fruit and everything and the kids had been complaining that there was no treats in the house so um, they loved the bakery and little you know the donuts and everything so I had gone in <laughs> I don't know why I'm even talking about this I'd gone into the bakery and little and I bought a bag of donuts and a bag of pastries and a bag of croissants and um, there was I think I had a bag of sweets I had all sorts of rubbish anyway and had them in the basket and then I just looked at the man in front of me who had uh, zero fat yogurt and strawberries and fruit and everything good and I just felt like such a bad mother (laughs) (laughs) and I shouldn't have put it on come on come on you're entitled you did oh yeah (laughs) I smiled when I saw it I said oh my Maria that's a good one but like you recognise and like you're entitled they're entitled to the little treats as well so I always say this and I've said it every time you come number eight number nine Yes, yes, there will be number nine. Um, few ideas floating around. Um, I've nothing pinned down yet, so I can't give you any, even give you any hints at the moment. But um, uh, I can assure you, it'll be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you don't have to because they all have been great ones, internationally well, published, yeah. loved at home and abroad, and with this one, the getaway. You really have done it once again Maria Duffy you're a great story as well uh, as you mentioned at your 40 if I get one you've got 8 now you're yeah. over the 50 you've taken up golf I wonder is golf the midlife crisis uh, could be <laughs> it's a good one it's a real I, good I one I don't mind what you call it but it's, it's, it's good for me anyway. yeah, it absolutely yeah, is yeah. and long may that continue I just want to say a couple of things before I go in the book of course you uh, acknowledge Paddy your husband 25 yeah, years married right. this yeah, year yeah. you are very generous in your thanks to so many people your children your parents your extended family all your friends you mentioned there as well Jerry, you, that, that those acknowledgements have been cut down in half <laughs> well I, I my publisher despairs of me because um, they leave a certain amount of room for the acknowledgements yes. when they typeset the book and I always send in like send them in 10 pages well, and they say we can't fit it we don't have enough room left so much there so there really is well done to you on that and you. you do mention the lovely Emma Hannigan yeah, Lord yeah, Rester yeah, as well she yeah. was a good friend of yours she as well was, yeah, and yeah. you make lovely She's mention of her missed, yeah, ah, she is yeah. indeed anyway it's been my pleasure once again we'll see Mine you too, Jerry. and Thanks you have to keep much. this record up with me now there's no letting <laughs> go of this absolutely, one for sure absolutely. Maria Duffy's book is called The Getaway it's there up on the shelves bestseller and this one will be a bestseller too. Thank you for all your entries for the book. Maria will sign it with best wishes to you and we'll get it out to you. And again, the question is, which book is this? Which book number is this, The Getaway? Is it our sixth, seventh or eighth? Answers to 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text. Until the next time, Maria Duffy, thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks very much. 
time for one of our regulars on Late Lunch. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show. He's very popular, I know, with you out there. He's from Help Me to Parent, Alan O'Donoghue. Great to see you again. Good to see you too, Jerry. Thank you for joining us. Let's get straight to some of these uh, situations uh, that have come to us. First one today, our 15-year-old son has recently said that he thinks he's gay. We told him we completely support him in whatever way we can. He's in a school that are really progressive in making gay rights an important part of school life, which is great. My question is, do you have any practical ways that we can actually support him? It's one thing saying it, but to actually put it into practice, he seemed relieved when he told us, but is still unsure about how his friends will take it and is worried that some may not want to be friends with him anymore. Alan, over to you. Yeah, I think it sounds like you actually reacted in in a really good way in terms of showing that support and, you know, your child obviously felt comfortable enough to come to you and say this because it can be a massive thing for a child to come and come out to his parents or her parents, you know. So it sounds like it's quite a, a good supportive family base there. And the fact that you as a parent now are trying to come in and find ways that you can do that extra bit of support beyond what would be maybe the the normal uh, parental supports, is really positive. What I will say is some of the LGBTQ plus children that I've worked with in the past said that the one thing that they were, sorry, one of the things they were concerned about was that their parents or their friends would hijack it and nearly wear the T-shirt and my child is gay and I'm okay with it, as in just taking ownership of it, when what's actually important is just being there for the child. So I suppose the simplest thing is ask your child, is there anything I can do to help you? Because each person, as we all know, is very different. So it's going to be important that he gets the opportunity to say, well, this is what I think I would like. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. But at least it's coming from him. So that's the first one. The next thing you can do is start to maybe do your own little bit of research to see, are there any youth clubs or groups that your child could maybe participate in that might give him extra bit of support? So it's not all on your shoulders. And it's not all on his shoulders either. Like, I believe Boomerang Cafe Andrada had a, a Pride event the other night for teenagers, which I, I heard was a fantastic success. And those type of things do make a difference. Like, the conversation is very different to what it was when we were, were young, Jerry, yes. which is great. And yes. it's really important. Um, the other thing is, you know, although your, your child has said he is gay, he's still your child. So things like consent are really important to talk about, you know, sex, relationships, you know, what's appropriate for, for him and uh, or not is really important. So some parents might feel a little bit nervous about having those conversations because they don't know, you know, what are the things I need to be thinking about. So maybe do that little bit of research yourself. Find out different ways that, you know, you can talk to your child in relation to what's going on for him or what may come up for him as he gets older and starts to explore things around but also letting them know that we're always here. So if something does happen, we will support you through it. So, you know, like I say, consent is such a huge discussion point at the moment, and especially, you know, amongst teenagers. What is consent? What's not consent? And that kind of thing. So having that conversation. And the other thing is just being there, just being there for them and not like... He's treating him as still as your child. Yes, your son or daughter is your son or daughter, no matter what. Absolutely, and that's the important bit. Yeah. Do you th- just just before we move on to the next one, friends? You know, mm. mentioned in the question there about you know letting friends know, or say in a scenario where some friends might move away, and mm. that can be very painful for for that young guy there. Yeah, it can be very painful, and I think it's like anything. I suppose some friends will move away for different reasons. But you would support your child any way through it. And it's about getting him to realise that 
he is who he is and that's not something that he needs to be ashamed of or worried about because it says more about the friends than it does about him, the fact that they've moved away because of this. And what I'd say is that you just support him through that. And that's why things like uh, specific groups for LGBTQ plus children are important because he may start to grow his network of friends. It doesn't mean he's running away from his friends, his his old friends, but for those maybe who who aren't willing to, to be his friend because of it, that says more about them. So let's look at widening his, his, his group of friends so that he can have more people that he has things in common with. It's, uh, as you said, in our day it was nearly unbelievable that mm. you know, you, this couldn't be handled. Today it still is challenging, no matter the opening up of all this and, uh, you know, it's uh, more common, etc. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And ultimately, society has changed, you know, for, for in general, to, yeah. you know, towards um, different groups and stuff like that. But for the individual person, mm. that's the hard part because, you know, he is 15. He may just be exploring to see, am I gay? He may not be. He, he may mm. be. And he's just not sure. But having that support there is so important. So and. I think sometimes we do get uh, caught up in the the wider scheme of things and, and thinking about how things would be an impact socially and, and in general. But all you need to worry about is your little child, as we say all the time. Simple as. Let's move on. Here's one really current because it's actually a scenario that's happening this very week. Mm. Uh, Jerry, my son, who is eight, is on a sports summer camp this week. Yesterday... Uh, there was a couple of older boys who got into a fight. This was sorted out by the staff, but the parents of both boys got into an altercation in front of all the children that got really physical. So now my son has come home yesterday evening and doesn't want to return to the camp as he's scared as to what might happen. I don't want him to miss out as he was so looking forward to the activities for ages. How can I convince him to go back so that child's not come back to camp today? Yeah. So there's still two days left and yeah. this parent is hoping that their their child will go back. I can completely understand how scary that must have been for this child, especially if it's not something that he's used to experiencing, seeing two grown men going at each other. And well, I suppose the, the first thing I'd say is it's OK for you as a parent to go and have a conversation with the camp leaders to say, how was this handled? Because I do have a child who's afraid to come back and ask them because... What you would hope with best practice and everything is that those two parents won't be allowed into the ground so that there won't be an issue coming up. And that, as they say in the, in the, in the question, it was handled by the leaders. The, the actual incident between the children was handled by the leaders, but we're not sure about how it's been handled outside of it. So it, go have that conversation. Ask them, what are the supports you guys are putting in place for the rest of the kids who maybe are afraid to come back? Because it does need to be talked about by them and addressed by the camp leaders, not just swept under the carpet to say that it's it's you know it's a nothing issue. Then you can what you can do is you can sit down with your child and say, look, I've spoken to the camp leaders. Everything's going to be okay. There is going to be no issues. And if something were to arise, they will make sure you're safe. If you take them tomorrow, maybe hang around for a little bit longer if that's possible for maybe twenty minutes when it gets started. What you'll probably find is after five or ten minutes he'll be absolutely fine because he'll be back playing with his friends, running around, having a good time and it'll be forgotten about. And kids are great at forgetting about things like that very quickly. Now, it might come back again in a few months or whatever, but in the moment, they're very good at moving on swiftly from it. Then what you can do is talk to him about the behaviour. 
and that that's not the way that you're bringing up your children to behave and that it's not okay. And that probably those two two men felt very embarrassed. Whether they did or not, you'll never know. Yes. But you can have that conversation and say they probably regret it and their children were probably embarrassed as well. So, you know, maybe their children need that little bit of help as well to, to you know, enjoy the rest of the week without it turning into something bigger for them. It's a scenario that reminds me that you can shelter your children to a degree, but look, when they go out in the world, they're going to come across various situations like this. And perhaps that was a real wake-up for that child at eight years of age. Maybe we never saw anything like that before, you know, in the flesh happening. Do you feel in, in in the main, like if the child is really upset still, but do you think it's best to try and get him back? Absolutely. Because he was really looking forward to it. So reassure him. Let him know that you'll hang around for, for a little bit if that's possible for you, like if you're not running out the door or that maybe somebody else might be able to, like a, a, a sibling or an aunt or an uncle might be able to go and just hang around for a little bit so that they have any issues that they can be dealt with or that reminding your child that they can go to the camp leader if there is a problem and they'll help them. They'll ring you and they'll say, look, he he wants to go home. So not giving your child the excuse to say, ring ring me if need be, but ring me if need be kind of thing, you know. Yes. And the other side of it is, is that, you know, you make a very valid point. We wrap our children up in a bubble and he may never ex- have experienced anything like this again, but this is real life. And I suppose it's about, some parents may have gone with that and said, right, you're not going back. And the child might have wanted to go back. So it's about going, life goes on. And we need to show our kids that life goes on even after issues occur. I don't know. Donna, who's with us, he's from Help Me to Parent. And just reminding you, you can always put a question to Alan during the show or afterwards and he'll pick up on it again when he's back with us. Late lunch at lmfm.ie is our email address or across the usual contact numbers. Here we go, Alan. I have another one for you here and I'm sure this resonates with people as well. I've recently separated uh, from my ex-husband. Our marriage has been a struggle for a while and it will ultimately be better for both of us. The issue is, however, our twin daughters who are 12, they want to go and live with their dad and not me. This is absolutely breaking my heart as they blame me for the breakup. There is also the practical issue of their dad. He works shifts. He won't be around much. He's left the family home and doesn't have a suitable place for them to go and live with him. I'm worried that if they have to stay with me, that they'll become even more resentful of myself. How can we work this one out? It's such a such a hard situation for for the whole family essentially, because okay, we have this mum here who's who sent in the question, but there's a number of issues going on for everybody here. So you have both the emotional element of it, and then you have the practical element of it. So on the emotional side, here we have a lady who's extremely hurt that her children are saying to her, "We want dad, we don't want you." But what I will say is, in my experience, the the parent that gets the emotional punches is usually the one that the children feel safest with because it's. I know if I say to mum, I'm not happy, it's your fault that she's not going to leave me. Whereas dad has left the family home, so they may be a bit scared that, well, he's already left the family home. If I fight with dad and say I don't want to live with dad, then he might leave me altogether. And this is all working on a subconscious level, Jerry. So it's it's a real thing that, that the child will feel. And they're hurt because their idea of the family unit is gone. So they probably don't know an awful lot about it. They haven't been involved in the whole marriage breakup. They don't need to know the ins and outs. But their world has been shook. 
So it's absolutely okay for them to feel sad and hurt and want to take it out on somebody. It doesn't mean it's right, but it's okay for them to feel that way. So what I'd say to you is try and manage that within yourself and look at your children. Do they need extra support to go through this process? Okay, then we have the practical side of things. Okay, they may say they want to go and live with dad, but they can't. Like it's just he doesn't have a property or a place to stay that they can go and live with. Plus, he works shifts. So maybe it's about both of you sitting down. And this is where one of those difficulties, because we don't know what's going on in this marriage, where there could be a lot of animosity between mum and dad. But what we, we would be best for the children is if you could both sit down and say, look, we hear you. We hear what you're saying, that you would like to live with dad. But right now, that isn't a possibility. But what we will do is we will come back and look at it when dad does have somewhere that we can that, that you could maybe go and live with and then we can discuss it then so that you're not closing the door on it and he's there as well supporting you through this process and then if they need help get them help you know you said something there the one who takes the emotional punches is generally the one that the parent fe- the children feel safest with they, isn't that interesting mm. It is. Well, if you think about it, Jerry, if if you're my dad and, you know, you've left me, I can't gamble that, you know, take the gamble to fight with you mm. in case you just disappear altogether. Yes. It's it's a very telling few words that you've said today for and to ponder on those as well. Y- you know, these are 12 year old twins here, right? Mm. The mark that's left on children just to extend this a little bit, you know, if if a breakup happens when they're very small, you mm. know, and it, it can happen, you know, after a year or two, early early life, these are 12, almost teenagers, girls, smart, I, I take it. Yeah. Does it leave a mark or are, are all children of all ages resilient? Well, I don't know if all children of all mm. ages are resilient, but what I will say is... What I'm trying to say yeah. is, if it happens when they're smaller, sorry, I'll rephrase yeah, yeah. that. You know when it happens when they're younger... It's easier in a way. It's never easy, but is it easier in a way? I don't think it is, it's easier because the, the the context of each individual breakup is going to have a different impact. So, you know, I've worked with, with parents who are still not communicating 5, 10, 15 years after separating, which is having a direct impact on the children. What I will say is children are going to be hurt after a breakup. There is no way to take that hurt away. And it's their journey. Like it's their journey. It's, you know, we try and fix our children's emotions, but we can't do it. It's impossible. They need to be allowed to feel hurt. They need to be allowed to feel sad. And there may be times that they want to pull the head off you. Don't let them do it, but they may want to. So there, there will probably be scars. But again, like we said earlier on, that's life. And, you know, a lot of parents would have stayed together for years. You know, our grandparents, our parents' generation, whatever, would have stayed together for years for the children. But what happens there is that the children grow up in an atmosphere where parents don't talk or parents fight all the time. And that's where they learn what a relationship is like. So you're better off separating and trying to support your children through that than staying in a a marriage that, that isn't a marriage anymore, essentially. They'll take that with them, you're saying. Those learnings go on with them then in life, into their relationships. Well, potentially. But, but the, the other side mm. of it is, if they need that bit of support, they, yeah. you can get it for them. Mm. You know, the, there are people out there who work with teenagers. I do it myself all the time, who've been through their parents separating and they feel a bit lost because they're not sure what to do. 
they feel loyalty to both parents. They they may even feel guilt, Jerry, that it would, maybe it was them that caused this breakup. But what's important is that we w- with this that they are supported through it, but not at a an unrealistic level. Alan, thank you so much. Help me to parent dot. IE is the website you can contact Alan through that and he'd be only too delighted to help you with parenting issues of all sorts I love when you come calling (laughs) we'll see you again soon soon, thank you for joining me I'm joined on Late Lunch on the line now by Patrick Galligan good afternoon Patrick how are you doing Jerry? I'm good thank you for taking our call I want to take you back to that fateful day the 3rd of May this year your mother Kitty she's 81 years young and we know it well Kilbeg a lovely wee place outside Carlinstown there in County Mead what happened to her? Uh, she suffered a stroke there about half nine in the morning and we were lucky enough that my wife was still there and found her on the floor and due to the ad that's on the tele- television that fast, she knew it was a stroke and rang for the ambulance straight away. Ambulance came. She was taken initially to a Lady of Lourdes Hospital uh, in Drogheda. Yeah, that's right. And then she was transferred up to Bowmount Hospital to stop the bleed. She had a bleed in the brain and a blockage in the neck as well. So she had surgery there and then it was back to Drogheda, yes? Back to Drogheda, yeah. Same day, yeah. And they have a, a, a stroke unit there, I know, in the hospital. And then early June, around the 7th, was it or so, she was moved to Dundalk for recovery. Yeah, she was moved into Dundalk there for the stroke rehabilitation in Dundalk Hospital on the 7th. And she started physio then on the 9th of June. And is she there since? She's there now. Uh, she's in a step-down ward now in Dundalk. She'd be able to come home if we could get to home care help. But unfortunately, there's an embargo on. At the minute, we were told till earliest August, probably. So she's in the dock. What are the options if she can't come home? Well, at the minute, she just has to stay there at the minute, which is it's a bit ridiculous. By going by the HSE's own figures, it's costing nearly 6000 a week to keep somebody in hospital. And the average spend on the home care is about €165 Euros per patient. So, like, the figures don't really add up. There doesn't seem to be any giant thinking there in the senior management levels of the HSE. Now, if she comes home, is there somebody living at home? I'm living at home, and my wife is there as well, but we both work in Dublin. Okay, so she'd have a long stretch during the day when there'd be nobody there. There's nobody there, and the OT told us that she'd need about three home visits a day. And would would that be sufficient? If she had those three calls, would it be enough? Well, if she even got that now, she was granted. We applied for the home care help. We got five and a half hours. We appealed it. Thought it was a very little amount. They increased it to seven and a half, which was great. Like anything is better than nothing. Mm. But it's just to help her get dressed in the morning and toilet her and maybe have to shower her or that and somebody just to call in during the day to make sure that she's okay and then maybe with uh, care going to bed in the evening or that. Yeah, so... It, what you're saying is the care would be needed Monday to Friday would she be okay at the weekends with you you both at home well yeah I usually take off a Saturday to do jobs around the house but at least I'll be around the house anyway yeah yeah. so the weekends really are not an issue it's Monday to Friday is it it's Monday to Friday yeah yeah. so seven and a half hours you have Monday to Friday but that wouldn't be sufficient no well it's well it's wouldn't be sufficient directing the care for a stroke patient should be over 15 
or around 15 hours a week. Mm. But like anything that we got, we were delayed, we got an extra two hours, so it mean that somebody would be there roughly about a half an hour, three times a day. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a whole lot either. 15, as yeah. you say, would be ideally three hours a day, Monday to Friday, which would be uh, significant, I'm sure. In, how is she? Has she made, has she paralysis? How is her mind? Uh, yeah, her mind, she suffers a bit, a bit from short-term memory loss. But generally, she's fairly good from the, the day that she got the stroke, she was completely paralysed down the left-hand side. Now, she has movement in her left arm, but not great in the hand. The same with the left leg from the knee down, it's not great. Her eye, I think, is affected as well in her ear. Mm. But her mind, her mind is sound, is sound oh, yeah. and recovered and there's no issue there? No, no issue there. She never lost her speech. But getting back to the home care thing, like, we were granted the seven and a half hours, but there's not, there's no home care assistance to do it. We, t- we were told there's an embargo on taking on anyone or allocating more hours out. So even though she was granted the seven and a half hours, there's still no home care support there to be available. So, so are you saying there's nothing then, really? Yeah, nothing at all, no. Is she frustrated in herself? Does she want oh, to get home? Oh, she wants to get home, yeah. And I think if she did get home, she'd probably make a better recovery. Even the OT said it, like if she's in uh, her known her surroundings and that, and where people could call, call into her maybe, or a visitor or that, or call into her or that, and just chat and that, that she'd probably make a better recovery. Like, she's in pretty good form now, but just fed up now. But mm. she's now in her own home. Yeah, I can imagine. I really can imagine. We, we've been on to the HSE and I have a statement. Will you just have a listen to this? Now, yeah. now it, it, it'll take me a minute or two to read it, but I'll, I'll read it uh, as quickly as I can to try and get the points across. So yeah. th- this is what they say. The HSE cannot comment on individual cases. Maintaining a client's confidentiality is not only an ethical requirement for the HSE, it's also a legal requirement as defined in the General Data Protection Regulation, along with the Data Protection Acts 1988 to 2018. When a client or family makes personal information public, this does not relieve the HSE of its duty to preserve uphold client confidentiality at all times. A member of a client's clinical team, however, would be happy to discuss any aspect of a client's care directly with them and their family. So the first part of that is saying how the HSE is fixed with the different regulations. We understand that. But they're saying that a member of the client's clinical team would be happy to discuss any aspect of the care with you. Now, in relation to the home support services, they want to say this. Home support services is a non-statutory scheme, the aim of which is to support an older person living at home. Access to services is via assessment by HSE professionals. The quantity of services is limited to an available budget. Currently, Midlands Loudmead Community Healthcare Organisation are profiling our priority home support clients based on assessed needs and are working to provide services based on that priority profile. And finally, they go on to say... At the end of June, the Midlands Loud Mead Community Healthcare Organisation were continuing to deliver home support services to 5,647 clients with a total of 140,979 hours. These hours have since increased and will be available following the next key performance indicator return in mid-August. I think that's what you were referring to there. There's going to be a review. And the expenditure on older persons' home support services in June 2019 was 
€260,343. And it finally says this position will be kept under regular review. That's what they say, Patrick. Yeah, but it still doesn't add up like with our figures, what they're saying. It came out on the journal last week. It's costing, to keep somebody in hospital, it's yeah. costing almost 6000 mm. And the average yes. home care spend per patient is €165. Euros. Yeah. So they're talking about saving money. So, like, mm. it doesn't seem to be much of a, a thought given there. If mm. you can get them out of hospital back into their own care... Yeah. where they reckon people will try you back in their own environment rather than in a hospital environment. I can well understand that. Have You You have dealt with the clinical team. They're saying, you know, direct... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, you've dealt with that. You've done yeah, that. Like That's... All the front, frontline staff, they're absolutely brilliant. I couldn't thank them enough what they did to me mother. From Drada, like, down to Dundalk and the physios, the nurses and yeah. uh, the care team and Drada and the physios and OTs and Dundalk, like, brilliant. Mm. From what she was to where she is now. Mm. Like she's still a fall risk and that's the thing that I'm more concerned about. She fell like there in the hospital a few times under their care so if there's nobody even calling into her there, like I'm gone 12 to 14 hours a day like you could come home and get her on the floor or anything like yes. that and that's the major thing and then the whole process starts again. Yeah. Are you heartened at all by what they say that uh, they're assessing the needs ongoing which would include your mum's case and that uh, this August deadline uh, you know uh, they're going to look at it again and the hours could be increased and she might get more support at that stage? Yeah but even if we got to seven and a half hours like we'd be even happy with that. Yeah. Because it just takes the pressure off, say, when I go to work, at least I know there's somebody calling in. I know we can keep in touch by the phone, but then any time she'd miss a phone call, you're panicking again to see, oh, well, did she fall or anything like that. Of course. Look, I have to leave it there this afternoon. I'm delighted to highlight it for you. Thank you to the HSE for the response. And please, God, you know, there will be uh, a time soon when Kitty returns back home to Kilbeg. Thanks for taking our call, Patrick. Okay, thanks for the call, Jerry. Not at all. God bless you. you. Take care. Patrick Galligan there. And I'm sure it's an issue that rings bells and resonates with many people listening to us this afternoon. That's a lot on late lunch for midweek Wednesday. We leave you in the company of the Pet Shop Boys. Always on my mind. Make sure you are with us. We are with you always, I promise. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.